0: Oh, <laughs> <than> I, <did. laughs> I don't think oh, it did. No. Well,
1: my oh, my, my son, my eight-year-old Ian, was singing was was singing that. <laughs> oh and I was like, do you know what that song's about? And he's like, no. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what was he singing? Let's get it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Okay, well we got we got to the fifth verse. And today we're going to try and get about halfway through the second chapter. We're going to go through. Remember, we're going through the the phases, like the the the, the pieces of the journey of the Shulamite woman in her in her uh, journey into intimacy with the king, and uh, and and it was all kicked off by this request: "Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth." This this longing for more of the Lord. This this. This desire that she has to uh, to 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 come close to him and have intimacy with him. So let's pray, Father. I thank you for your goodness and Lord. Even as I was reading through these passages of Scripture again, Lord, my heart burns for these young people that they would hear and experience and know the things that we're going to talk about today. That they would taste it, that they would come into this place, that they would follow the journey of the Shulamite, and that they would find intimacy with you. That they would move into uh, this this encounter with you, this this journey into you, Jesus. My, I am jealous for them. I I I want them to know what it means to live their life in pursuit of your of you. And Lord, I just pray that you would come, that you would do great. things, things in this room, that you would remove boundaries and barriers, that you would draw us into you. And Lord, we say uh, this afternoon, with all of our hearts, we say, come and kiss us with the kisses of your word. Come and speak to the depths of our heart. Come and let the fire of revelation burn on us. We ask you, O Lord, to, to manifest the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room, so that we might know you, that we might experience you, that we would not leave this room the same as when we walked into it today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so last time we kind of we just started off on this journey. She's she's had this, this beginning experience with him where she realized that that uh, where, where, that he stirred, that he stirs her desire, that, that she wants him. She saw him and she began this journey by saying oh let him kiss me and 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 then she she moves into this place where she kind of lays out her life vision she she goes beyond just i want to encounter you and into i want maturity into this place where she says where she says come let us run together she says let us let us <coughs> run she wants to do more than just you know get a smooch now she she wants to do life with the king she wants to be his partner forever she wants to run with him and that's kind of where we ended last time was that she's going from seeing him from afar and saying oh i i I want to kind of experience that i want to go to there just you know, it was you know um to now she's saying i i want my whole life to be about the pursuit of him and so we are going to uh now we're going to spend the next the today talking about the first few steps on this journey together they've had a pers- they've had an encounter now okay they've she's met him she's begun the journey of life with the king and she's the, we're she's going to begin to find out that being a partner with the king is more than she bargained for and that there's there's more to it than she maybe thought but she also is going to begin to find out that it's worth far more than she ever believed. So this next, uh, the the first phase was the the cry, the desire of her heart and um, her early decision to to become his completely. The second phase, uh, um, Mike Bickle calls it the mystery of grace. So we're in verse five. I am dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me they made me caretaker of the vineyards but I have not taken care of my own vineyard tell me o oh, you whom my soul loves where do your where do you pasture your flock where do you make it lie down at noon for why should i be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions we'll stop there for now okay verse okay so she says I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. When we begin to encounter Jesus, one of the first things that we realize is, is that we're dirty. We're messed up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you come in, like you begin to come into his presence, and all of a sudden, very quickly, you realize how completely uh unworthy you are of, of his love, unworthy of his attention. It's like in the light of his holiness, your your unholiness, your unworthiness becomes extremely visible. And you're just like, oh, geez. And it's, you know, you become kind of embarrassed. Like, you just want to cover up like, oh, no, you know, it, it, uh, oh, I can't. Why would you? Oh, I'm so dark. I, I, oh, I don't like I don't like the way that I look. I'm embarrassed. I'm you know, I feel weird about, about being in your presence, Jesus. I don't know. Oh, gross. I'm, I'm ugly. I'm messed up. And, you know, even as, as we begin the, uh, I mean, as we begin a conversation with people that, um, that don't know Christ, I can't tell you how many times I've had the same conversation. Even this last Sunday, I had a conversation with a woman who, is, who has gone to church most of her life, but she sat there and told me that she didn't know if she was going to heaven or not because she's not a good person. Is what she said to me, and I was like, "And you think I am?" <laughs> I said, "You know, I'm not a good person. We're not. There's no good people in this building. You know, there's nice people, but there's no good people. There's nobody here who can, who has any kind of claim to holiness. There's no, nobody here that has any kind of claim to being just like Jesus and like I've earned my place in 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 the kingdom of heaven. That's, and I used to have. I remember in high school." I would talk to people about the Lord and they would say to me I'm not like you and I'm like what does that even mean you're not like me well you know I'm not kind of the holy ruler I can't spend all my time praying blah 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 and I'm like I'm you do not know me at all <laughs> I am not a, a, any holier than you you know I mean that was and that was the truth I to be a follower of Jesus we come into contact with his holiness and and we, our life is held up, is held up next to the, you know, the 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 glory and the beauty of Christ. And all of a sudden, we realize how shabby and disgusting we are, and how worthless we we, you know, we seem to be in the midst of our of, of our of, of, of our sin and our brokenness. She says, "I'm dark." She says it to. She says, "Dark like the tents of Kedar. The tents of Kedar were made from black goat hair, so they would have been very, very dark." And uh, she said, so as we first begin to approach him, we begin to understand that we are sinful or filthy. We understand that though we desire him, we don't deserve him. And we've been led to this place by desire. Oh, I want him. But we come into contact with him and realize we don't deserve him. Oh, he'd be better off without me. Oh, geez, what do I, why would you choose me, God? I don't understand. This, this isn't right. This isn't working. This isn't how it's supposed to be. I don't deserve you at all. Um, we st- but not only that, in the midst of it, and sometimes this is kind of the, the beginning of this feeling is we think we'll be doing okay for a while, like, oh, you know, I'm doing great, and then we'll stumble in some way or another. The, uh, our flesh pokes, you know, like peeks out, like, <laughs> you know, and, it, and you're like, dang it. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was going to do that again. You know, I didn't think I was going to go there. I remember once when I was a teenager, I was dealing with some particular sin and I, I was really just trying to eradicate this from my life. And um, I don't even remember now what it was. I just remember that, that I had gone for a while and 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 I had I'd seen some real victory over over this. And I was excited about that. And then I like it's like I came around a corner and just fell flat on my face. Just landed in it. I don't even remember what it I, I really don't remember what it was. But I I had been like this this was at the height of of my beginning relationship with Jesus. Like when I was really I mean, I had known Jesus my entire life. But this is when I was really beginning to know him myself. Beginning to experience him as a person myself. Beginning to actually discover that he loved me and I loved him. It was the very beginning of, of, of my kind of walking into the Lord. And I was doing everything I could to be the kind of person that I felt like he wanted me to be. And so I was devastated by my mistake. And I actually didn't do my devotions for the next couple of days. Now that that might not sound like so you didn't do your devotions. Well, at the time my devotion time was just red hot at this time. Like my 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 intimacy with Jesus was massively important. It was it was like the only thing keeping me alive at that time. And so I had to physically try to not do my devotions. But I was so embarrassed by my mistake that that I, I was not talking to God. And that went on for like three days. And I remember lying in my bed and just just aching for his presence and finally just going, oh, I'm sorry, I don't, you know, and I just began to speak to him. And the Holy Spirit just went, like just flooded the room in this powerful way. And, 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 and he was like, why did you wait so long to talk to me? I'm like, what? You're supposed to be mad at me. You're supposed to like yell at me. I'm a horrible person. And I screwed up again. And the Holy Spirit was like, I forgave you the millisecond you committed the sin. I was already ready to forgive you. And you you kept me from showing you mercy. You kept me from encountering you and picking you up from your fall and dusting you off and saying let's walk a little further. I was withholding myself from the from from the comfort of God's grace. Now understand, (laughs) this place that I'm talking about is not the place of rebellion. Okay, there is a huge difference between spiritual immaturity and rebellion. Massive difference. Rebellion is not okay. Rebellion, God's not going to pick you up and pat you on the back and say, it's okay, buddy. That, No. Rebellion, when you're going, God, I don't want you, I don't like you, and I'm running away, God will let you go. But when we are walking toward him, and something happens, and we sin, no matter doesn't matter what kind of sin it is, the Lord is right there, ready to pick us up. I mean, how horrible a dad would I be if, as my children started walking and then they fell, I'd be like, you stupid, ridiculous little brat! <laughs> I mean, think about it. Would that be a good dad? No. And do you think they would ever try and walk again? No, there's no way. They'd be like, I'm just going to crawl the rest of my life. My dad gets really bad when I try and walk, right? Because, because that's, I didn't do that. Either, right? I mean, God. But how often do we think of God that way? When we're really trying to move toward him, really honestly are, and we fall down. And, and then we feel like he's like, mm, mm, mm. That's, that's not his intention. That's not his desire. That's not how he's going to be. So we, we stumble into this thing that we un- all of a sudden, we're not only experiencing that we long for him, but we're beginning to experience that he desires us, which <laughs> freaks us out because we're dirty and we're ugly and we're filthy. And then we make mistake and we're like, he's gonna, he's just gonna run away from me. It's all gonna be over right now. And God's like, come on, I love you, keep going. And you're like, ah! like, <laughs> like not only did you allow me in your presence for even five seconds, but now you're ready to forgive me too? What? And that's the place that she's at. She's like, I am dark, but I'm, I'm lovely. She's beginning to understand that even though she has spiritual immaturity about her, even though she makes mistakes, she's beginning to understand that he loves her. That he desires her. This is so huge. When we begin to understand that God desires our presence... Now, please understand that there is a huge difference between desire and need. Okay? God does not need your presence, but he desires it. He desires, he wants you around. He adores you, and he wants you around. He enjoys you even in the midst of your immaturity. And your little yeses, your little tries, your little, you know, cute little, oh, look, she's trying to walk. Isn't that adorable? That, seriously, that means a million times more to him than your stumbles. He's far more delighted with your effort than he is angered by your stumble. Do you hear that? And she's beginning to discover it. The problem we, that, that we have is that our response to our own ugliness can can hold us back from God. Like the one that I told you about with myself where I was like, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's one thing that we do is we do this thing where we punish ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Where we, we, I have to spend some time feeling bad about the fact that I made a mistake. I have to spend – I have to torture my soul for a while. No, I'm a horrible person. I I really, it. I had, a, I had a, one of the kids in my youth group years ago who was just this incredibly driven young man. And, and, um, and he was just pa- crazy passionate about every single thing that he did. And we – but he was just – he was having some issues. And so I started meeting with him on a weekly basis. And and in our first conversation, I was blown away. The way – this is one of the most driven kids I've ever met. Okay, And the way that he kept himself driven was this self-flagellation that he would go through of torturing himself when he did things that were wrong. Now, he didn't actually take a whip and hit himself. Okay, I mean, hey, that has happened in the history of the Christian Church. It really has, where people would actually whip themselves and hurt and hurt themselves in different ways. One of the things that, they do that. Huh, oh, <laughs> you know, um, they they felt like it made them more holy. You know, they took verses like the Apostle Paul when he says, "I I beat my flesh into submission." They took that seriously and said okay i'm going to do the same thing whoosh, whoosh, you know and that was i'm serious that's what they did it was and and yeah and they became horrible people because what happens with that okay when we punish ourselves in order to like pay some kind of uh penance for our sin okay oh because i did that i i'm going to fast for a week you know it's like, and god's like <sighs> <sighs> Jesus took our punishment all of it for all of your sins past present and future okay Jesus took it on himself so we don't need to punish ourselves it's not biblical for us to punish ourselves for our sin does does that mean we shouldn't feel bad when we sin we need to repent it's not about your emotion it's not it's not about repent means to turn around it's not an emotional word it's it means to do a 180 and turn back completely around, and go the opposite direction. Okay, that's what repentance means. Repentance is not like laying on the altar and sobbing into the carpet. It's not necessarily always a bad idea to do that, but but that's not what it is. Repentance means to change. You know, I'll be yelling at my kids about something, and they'll be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And i said, don't tell me you're sorry. Show me. I'm not interested in whether you feel bad because I'm yelling at you. I want to see your behavior change. And that's what repentance really is. When the Bible calls us to repent, it means stop doing what you're doing. That's what God wants. It doesn't mean you need to feel bad about your sin. No, that's not what it means. It means stop sinning. That's what it means. And that's what God wants from us. But a lot of us will do this thing where we will punish ourselves until we feel bad enough that we feel like we can go back to God. My dad used to tell me that when he would go down to the altar in his church as a kid that he would pinch himself until he cried because that, 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 that was, that was what, when you had a, 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 real, a, a real moment at the altar, you'd have to cry. You know, which sometimes you do cry, but that's, that's silly. It's, it it doesn't make any sense, but that's what he would do. I mean, that's, that's the pretzel that church people will fold themselves into trying to do, you know, when, when, when they have this wrong understanding of how we should respond to our own darkness, with this wrong understanding to how we should respond to our own dirtiness. And punishing yourself, First of all, doesn't do God any favors. Second of all, does not help you. It really doesn't. It doesn't help you at all. Because here's the truth. When you're done punishing yourself, this is so twisted and evil, but it's real. When you're done punishing yourself, one, you haven't gotten any better. Okay, that's one. Two, you feel like you've gotten better, even though you haven't. Okay. <coughs> Three, there's some part of you inside that is really mad at God for the pain that you just went through. When you did it to you, God didn't ask you for it. You did it to you, so you begin to resent him for the pain you put yourself through, which has done nobody any good. Okay? It is... Stop doing it! Stop going into this doldrum I'm a horrible person. Maybe none of you do this, but I know that there are some people that do. Where they just feel like the worst person ever and and they spend time, I, I have to feel bad about this for a little while longer before I am going to be able to actually go back to God. No, God doesn't want it. God's not interested in it. What he wants you to say is, I'm dark, but he says I'm lovely. That's what he's interested in. The other question is, well, it's like I said earlier, do we, do we run to Him or away from Him? Does ours, does, does your sin run make you want to run to God or make you want to run away from God? I want you to think about that for a minute. When you make a mistake, when you feel bad, like you've done something wrong, you've said something wrong, when you feel guilty, <laughs> does it make you want to run to God and ask for, to, for forgiveness or does it make you want to like not talk to God at all because... Because what that reveals, where you run when you sin, reveals exactly how you understand the gospel. If you understand God as the forgiver of your sins, then you want to run to him when you make a mistake. But if you understand God as the punisher of the guilty, you will run away from him and try and find a way to punish yourself enough that God might accept you back. Do you see the difference? The Gospel says God is the justifier of the of the guilty and the punisher of sin, but he's the punisher of sin in the person of Christ Jesus, and we get to receive the reconciliation that Jesus bought. Yeah? What if you're in between? In between like, how? Explain that. Like, um, But, like, I, whenever I do something wrong, it's not that I run away from him because I want to really punish myself. But I feel like, like, I've let him down to the point where I don't want to, like, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's like cheating on your boyfriend. Like, you don't want to tell them, but you know it was wrong. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there's a couple things about that. Okay, the first one is, do you think he doesn't already know? Okay. So, do you think you coming back to him is going to hurt him worse than you not? <coughs> no. So, just go back to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's not mad at you. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I what you're saying, like, I understand, but what, there was a time where I was living in sin, and then... I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. God, like, please forgive me. And then I would do it again. Yeah. And then I would like, I don't even deserve your forgiveness. Like, right. I would feel ashamed, and it's, and I think it's okay sometimes to feel that because I knew I was living in sin, and I definitely deserve the consequences that were going to come after it. But like, I don't know if that's what you mean or not. But like, I've had plenty of those moments with God I'm just like, I don't even deserve your grace. There is a difference between right. hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting you of what you have done, and shame. Those are two different things. The Holy Spirit to bring, to say, you see this, this is not okay. And for you to feel shame, those are very separate from from each other. And God does not want you to feel shame. Yeah. Yeah. He does not want you to feel shame. Shame separates us from God. Every time. And He has no desire for you to feel shame. Zero. What he wants is reconciliation with you. That's what he paid for on the cross. And you're not going to come to him if you feel ashamed. Do you walk, do you, you know, if if you're, if you feel ashamed, do you go talk to the person that made you feel ashamed? No, you run. That's when God's like, no, I don't want shame to be a part of this process at all. I want forward motion. I want growth. I want you to see what you did. (laughs) And I want you to say, I don't need to do that again. That's not who I am. And keep moving. Every time you feel those feelings, you need to attack them head on with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling shame again. And I know you don't want me to. So I know these emotions are not from you. Can you help me to feel correctly about my sin? Help me to hear you say over me that I am lovely and that you desire me. Because that's the truth. Now, the next thing she says helps us understand where she is deriving worth even in the midst of her realization of her mistakes and her and her filthiness. She says, Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Okay, Solomon was the king. She says, I, I am dark. And she's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem at this point. She's not talking to herself or to the king. She says, She's speaking to those who look on with amazement of his acceptance of her. And she's speaking to herself. She said, yes, I will admit that he should not be choosing me. He calls me lovely and he makes me lovely. He's made me beautiful because, she says, I'm ugly because of the mark of sin. But he has made me beautiful because I am his dwelling place. She's the tent curtains of Solomon. She says that he lives here. And she can call herself beautiful because he has made her beautiful. The strongest longing in the human heart is the longing to be enjoyed by God. Not just tolerated by him. Not just that he's like, ugh, fine. No. We want to be found. We want to feel that God actually enjoys us. And I think maybe the best of us feels that maybe 5% of the time. When the truth is that God enjoys us 100% of the time. In my best moment, when I'm in this deep place of prayer and worship and the presence of God is everywhere around me, I might be able to get somewhere close to saying, I think you you might like me. When the truth is God is over here with his heart you know, endless ocean, bottomless sea, That is all of it is on fire with love for you. Passionate desire and delight over you. And that's who God is. He's an infinite ocean of desire for you. And we're like, I think maybe he likes me. That's <laughs> what we do, isn't it? God is like, I love you! And we're like, I think he kind of likes me. <laughs> and that's when we're doing really good We're able to say that. Most of the time, we're like, I think he would shoot me with lightning if he hadn't promised that he wouldn't. When you say that, it reminds me, like, it makes me think of God looking at us with, like, googly eyes, you know? He does. And we will get to the passages of Scripture where it says so. He says things about her in this book that just make you go... What? God cannot feel that way about me. But there it is. Okay, we are delighted in by God. He takes pleasure in us. And he (laughs) longs for us to have confidence and love. Where we wake up in the morning and we say, I'm his favorite. True. True. I think I said this last year. But it reminds me of a t-shirt I saw where it says, Jesus loves you. I'm his favorite. Right. And I, I think every single one of us should own that t-shirt. And only if you really believe it. Like, if I can honestly say, here I am again, your favorite one. I'm Here I am. Hey, it's your favorite kid. We should have that kind of crazy confidence in his love because his love is far beyond anything we understand. So much deeper, so much higher, so much wider, so much hotter than we can possibly understand. He loves us infinitely. He is exercising his infinite power to make us happy forever. Do you understand that that's the truth? That the cross is about giving himself to us forever? Do you get that? Jesus poured out his own blood to give himself to you as your spouse for eternity, that's what he suffered for. It should it, it should make you blush. Back to St. John of the Cross, where he said, I have had experiences with God so delicious that even the thought of them makes the blood come to my face. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Like, I've had moments with God that are so overwhelmingly delightful that I can't, I'm like embarrassed to talk about it. I'm like, oh, shucks, you know. <laughs> I want this. I'm like, God, if you gave it to him, I want it because I'm your favorite. I don't really believe that. I really wish I did. I, I really do. I wish that I got it. I wish I understood it. I wish I could feel that all the time, that he, his delight is in me. But it's very hard. Verse six, do not stare at me because I'm swarthy. Swarthy just means I'm really like dark skinned For the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. So here's here's what's going on. She says, yes, I'm dark, but I'm lovely. I'm the loved failure, the forgiven sinner, the justified. Ezekiel 16, 14 is a beautiful, beautiful verse. It says this, your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Understand this. God wants to make the world stand up and see the church and say, it's stunningly beautiful. That's his longing, that the nations would look upon his followers, his bride and say, oh, my gosh, it is so beautiful. They may not believe like us. They may not, they, they may totally disagree with us, but that they would look upon the church and say that that is what it means to be human. Ezekiel 16, 14. He's speaking over Jerusalem. He says, your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect, perfect through the splendor I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. And that's, that's how God feels about his people. That we would shine forth perfect beauty into the earth because he's bestowed perfect beauty on us. She's embarrassed by her darkness. She doesn't wish to be seen by others, and she's making excuses. She knows, he says, she is beautiful, but she's once again listened to the opinion of man. She's once again allowed the sideways view to overtake her. She's not receiving her identity from his love, but from those around her, and she begins to make excuses for her darkness. Okay, this is in this verse. She's able, when she's in the presence of God, she's able to say, I'm dark, yet lovely, and... and, and she begins to say this to the daughters of Jerusalem, who are another character. They usually are in reference to like other believers around her. Okay, and and she's she's telling them why he thinks she's beautiful because they don't understand it. Have you ever run into those people that you're just like, ugh, I wish they weren't so like spiritual or so in love with Jesus? And I am not talking about like the super arrogant, super spiritual people that are like, "When well, in my time with the Lord this morning." No, I'm not talking about those people. Okay, I'm talking about the people that just that love Jesus so much that you're like, that's disgusting. You know what I'm talking about? Have you met people like that that you're just like? Like Heidi Baker is one of those people to me. You, do you know who Heidi Baker is? I would recommend you get, like listen to something of hers, but she she is so wildly in love with Jesus and so ready to do anything that He tells her to do. She tells this story about this tribe. she's in Mozambique. she she runs this like orphanage there, and she and her husband Roland. and and she, she was in prayer one day and the Lord began to show her these tribal people with a certain kind of headdress. And so she goes and she asks one of the, the locals, like, who are these people? I, you know, I saw these people. And the Lord wants them. And the guy said, "The guy said, oh, it's, that's, they're called this, but you're not going there. Anybody that goes there gets killed. You're not going there, Heidi. It's not happening. And Heidi just looks at him and says, the Lord wants them. We're going. I mean, she doesn't care. She's like. If I die, I die. The Lord wants them. We're going. End of discussion. This isn't, you know, he showed them to me. We're going. So they go to this village and God does incredible stuff and like the whole tribe comes to Jesus. Right. But just that kind of like unabashed, like, no, you don't understand. Jesus wants them. So I have to go. You know, like, I'm not afraid. I don't care. That's not. It's like the Moravian missionaries. You know, some of the there's this missionary movement that's been going on for several hundred years called the Moravians. They would they, – they found out about a whole culture of slaves that was – I think they were in – this was like back when the, the – like the, the, like the Bahamas like were a colony of, of, another, of Spain or whatever. And, and there was all these African-Americans that had been taken there as slaves and there was no Christian witness to them whatsoever. And the Lord was – had put on these two guys – Hearts to go and preach the gospel to this to these hundreds of thousands of slaves over there. And so they were trying to find a way to get there, and they said, the only way to get there is if you're a slave. And they said, Done, sell me. So they sold themselves into slavery to go and to preach the gospel to the to these slave people. Right? I mean, jeez. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. And that's how she feels. And these other people are beginning to say, why would he want you? Oh, he loves you. Yeah, sure he does. Why would he want you? And she, she begins to hear more. This is one of the disgusting things that happens when, when, when new Christians come into the church. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Or somebody gets saved and they're on fire for Jesus like right away like, I just want to do everything Jesus wants me to do! You know? And people, there are these idiots that come around and are like, it's okay, calm down. Oh, aren't you cute? Stop being so on fire for Jesus. Oh, you'll figure it out eventually that it's not all it's cracked up to me. I mean, it's like, that's what, that's what the church does to newborn Christians and it's disgusting. I just want to fuel the fire. I'm like, he loves you so much! Here, read Song of Solomon! <laughs> <laughs> their brains explode. No, I love Jesus. You know, but but that's not what the church does. And they're beginning to speak to her about this. Oh, you don't, you don't, don't deserve his love, and you're a horrible person, and and you know, just and and she begins to doubt his love and hear their voice more than his, and so she begins to give excuses for why she has such a hard time. Well, you don't know the family I grew up in. And you don't know how hard life has been and you don't know. And, you know, I, I'm immature because I didn't grow up in this, you know, and then she begins to get defensive and put up these barriers. And the whole time the Lord is going, no, 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 don't listen to them right here, right here, right here. And, but she, she's having trouble because all the people around her are speaking these lies into her life. And so she's, she's getting bitter and angry against them. And she's forgotten to, to take identity from his love for her, and she's, she's begun to try and build identity by, by explaining her plight to the people around her. How many people do you know of that do that? That begin to build their identity on what the people around them think of them. When we begin to build our identity, our own sense of self-worth on anything other than Christ, we've lost. Because what you have just done is you have made the opinion of man an idol. And you're worshiping it. When Jesus told you how he feels about you, but she doesn't like me so I don't think I can live right one of my favorite preachers tim keller talks about this young girl that he that that had come into his office she was about 15 years old and 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 she was just having a rough time she had switched schools or something and she just wasn't finding a lot of friends there and 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 he was trying to talk to her from a spiritual level like well jesus loves you and jesus you know and you're saved and and, and it's going to be okay and you know and 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 She was like, I know Jesus loves me, but if nobody wants to date me, how am I supposed to keep living? Right? I mean, we were like, what? But that was really her perspective. Life isn't worth living if no boys want to date me. Isn't that sad? She's 15, and that's how 15-year-olds talk, right? That's how they think. Yes, it is. It's how they think. But when you've done that, who what is your God? Your God is this acceptance from 15-year-old boys, which is the stupidest God ever. <laughs> okay. This is the most worthless God of all time. Okay. The most it just is. God has ceased to become your God, and this other empty thing. That's why I always, always tell young ladies, and I've told you, you need, you need to find a man that can keep up with you, not the other way around. Don't be like, you know, you just need to run and be amazing and just hope that there's a man that comes close to your amazingness and then maybe you can do life with that person. We have a question. So do we need someone who's going to put us in our place? (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 Only if your place is on a pedestal what well, I'm, yeah. What yeah. I'm <laughs> saying I'm not talking about that <laughs> that's what I and what I'm saying is you need a man that can run with you you run you'll be amazing you'll be everything that God's called you to be. And you need you need a man that can come alongside you that you can respect and that's a big difference then can put me in my place. Because there's a lot of men with big mouths that can just be like, "Woman, no you need you need a man <laughs> in your no. Woman. <laughs> No, you need a man you can actually respect. A man that when he, that when he speaks, that when he speaks, you want to listen because you respect his opinion. That's what I'm talking about. It isn't a man that just like tries to control you. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a man, a man, a man, a man who respects you and a man who you can respect right back. That's what I'm talking about. And that's the kind of lover Jesus is. He values you. Not what he can get from you. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you guys are going to have to fix this later. <laughs> oh, okay. She's not receiving her identity from his love. She, needs, she has to begin to come back and align herself again with what he's said over her. Because what's happened is now she begins to blame the work of she, – she begins to blame um, the church for her problems in her relationship with God. And haven't we heard this before? Oh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. No, you don't love Jesus. Yeah. I know time when I repeat yeah. that one verse, never all up. I gonna explain that. Because I kind of get a gist of what it could mean, yeah. but I feel like – that's at the end of our time today. And let's pray I get there. So we have to get there because we have too much to do. And, and there's only like three more classes after this one. Really? Yeah. I know. Holy crap. by faster than last year. Yeah. So, all right. Verse 7. So, now she's kind of mad. She's kind of bitter. And she's like, I feel far away from you, God. I- explain this to me. I thought you loved me. Well, she was the cause of her own problem, but she doesn't realize it. So she turns her bit, her bitterness and her cynicism back to God and she goes, Tell me, O you whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where do you make them lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? She feels estranged from him. She feels like she has no place of provision or feeding or rest with him. She feels like she's not, like she's fallen... Out of the inner circle with God. Yeah. Is it, so, so that's like sarcasm right there? Or? I think it is. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Verse 7. Oh. I mean, I think she really does still love him. But there's this kind of tone. Why should I be like a woman, like a stranger, you know, a woman veiled beside you? She doesn't feel like his favorite right now. Oh. And she's angry about it. <coughs> she, she doesn't understand... Why don't I know where you are? And why don't I know what you're up to? And why do I feel so unsatisfied and exhausted? That, that's not fair. I thought I was your favorite. She's not happy. Where's the satisfaction you promised? Where's the rest? Why do I feel like a stranger and an outsider? One who doesn't belong here. She's asking these, these, really, these powerful questions. That's how she feels. How did I get lost if I'm your beloved? How did I get so far away? And why didn't I know where you were going? But see, the thing is, even though her response is immature and kind of catty, right, okay, (laughs) she's being a little bit mean, he didn't do this to her, she did it to her. That's the truth. But she's mad at him. And even, even though her response is a little bit feisty, she did the right thing. She came back to him. You see, she went back to that first cry. This is, again... It's the same thing. It's let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. It's that same desire just being voiced in another way. I need you. I miss you. I'm, I feel far from you. She goes back to that touchstone of, of where their relationship began. Let him kiss me. She goes back to that place and she goes to him. How many Christians have done the opposite? How many times have we said, I feel dissatisfied with God. Therefore, God must not work and I'm leaving. Therefore, therefore I'm going to go sleep with this guy or therefore I'm going to go start the, you know, try these drugs or therefore I'm going to go look at pornography or therefore I'm going to go, you know, whatever, you name it. I'm going to go fill this desire this desire with something else because God's not satisfying. No, she knows that he's the only thing that can satisfy her and she goes back. She goes back to him. And that was the right thing to do. She made a mistake in, in getting herself off. But she's immature. She doesn't know. And so he, the, I, love, I love his response to her. If you yourself do not know, most beautiful among women, and that was not sarcastic, go forth on the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. So sh- this is what he says. If you yourself do not know, If you're having trouble finding your way home. Okay. This is about, he's bringing it back. This is about me and you, sweetheart. This isn't about those other people that you were just talking about. This is about you and me. But if you can't find your way back on your own, here's the body of Christ. Here's my my faithful servants here are men and women around you that can help you find your way home. They don't build your identity. My relationship with you builds your identity, but they can't help you find me again, which almost seems kind of counterintuitive It was her. It was her attention to their voice that led her off the beaten path. And he kind of points them, hit her back at, at them again. And says, they can help you back if you can't figure it out yourself. But he does it. As he does it, he's reaffirming over her himself. I think you're the most beautiful among women. He begins to speak identity over her again. In that place. Almost beautiful among women. I love that. He says, remember, I called you beautiful. Remember your identity with me and come and rest among my people. All the labor that you've expended to try to make yourself beautiful for me has done nothing but wear you out. You you worked so hard to build your identity among these other people when you forgot that, as far as I'm concerned, you're the most beautiful of women. There's no need. Just come back to me. That's all I want. Verse 9. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, understand, the, the the mares, the female horses, were never used to pull the chariots. Okay? So what he's saying is, I don't have you in my heart because you're my workhorse. You're not here to serve a purpose. You're here because I want you here. It says, uh, I chose you to delight in you and for you to delight in me. And then it says, Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with a string of beads. And and the like the facial area in this and in and in a lot of Middle Eastern poetry referred to her emotional reality because, you know, she would blush or she would, you know, smile or, and that. So when he says, I adorn your cheeks with your, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with a string of beads. He's saying, let me show you how to feel. Let me teach you how to align your emotions correctly along this line of what I have declared you to be and not on the line of what others have spoken into your life. Hear my voice My definition of you and put down what other people have said. He has made her beautiful. Psalm 149 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. Next chapter. Oh, it's not really the next chapter. We're starting with verse 12. Sorry. It's the next phase though. All right. So he has told her, let me, let me ground you in a way I feel about you. So this next, this next part of the, of, of this is him, him just filling her heart with his, uh, his. View of who of her identity. He wants her to become really grounded in the way he thinks and feel about her, feels about her. So this is phase three. It's she's beginning to understand her identity in God's beauty. Okay? So verse 12. Remember, she's been kind of away, and now she's come back to him. And she says, While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. Okay? So now she's Back at the king's house, she kind of want. She had kind of been wandering. And he said, "No, no, no! I'm bringing you home." Okay, and she's. It's. She says, "My beloved to me is a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts." <laughs> this part, if you read this part with a dirty enough mind, there's a lot of stuff in this next part. So you might just want to just try. Oop. You know, because this, this is, this, I'm sorry, this is a sexy. <coughs> it really is. It, it is. <laughs> so while the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. As she begins to be fed again by him, as she begins to understand that he desires her, worship begins to come from her. Adoration begins to come from her. The way that she feels about him begins to change again. Okay? She begins to respond emotionally to the way that he feels about her, to the position that he's put her in. and She begins to understand how he feels about her. And that causes worship and adoration to come out of her. That's why she says, my beloved to me is a pouch of myrrh. Myrrh is symbolic of death. It was what they would anoint the bodies with after death. So this is literally a picture of the cross. She's beginning to see what he's... When we begin to understand the cross and all that Jesus did, and we begin to understand it as a gigantic statement from Jesus of our worth, of how much he adores us, when we begin to hear... There was a song. There was this worship leader from the 90s named Dennis Jernigan. Does anybody know who he is? Anyway... um, I loved him. And he would sing these love songs to Jesus. And and one of them was called when I fell in love with you. And, and he was talking about like his first couple of his, the first times that he came to Jesus and he actually came to the Lord out of a homosexual lifestyle. And he was talking about the first few moments, his first few encounters that he had with Christ. And he's there's this line that I'll never forget. I don't even remember any of the rest of the song, but he says, I heard your love song from the cross. It's just Jesus hanging on the cross as a love song sung over a broken humanity and here right over her heart is this symbol of his death she and it's there all night long she says she she broods on it she thinks about it she lets she lets the meaning of it sink down into her and she begins she's contemplating, what he has done to bring her in you need to understand that in the, at the time this poem was written myrrh was incredibly expensive that's why the wise men gave it to Jesus as a gift and you know gold frankincense and myrrh it's very possible the myrrh was more expensive than the gold it was costly So she has this costly gift that he's given to her that she wears around her neck in a a satchel. And so even when he's not with her, it's there. And it's constantly that fragrance that reminds her of his costly gift is just wafting up into her nose and just sits with her all night long. She can't get away from the fragrance of it. It's a pretty powerful fragrance too. I don't know if you've ever smelled myrrh. It smells great, but it's just like... It's usually a lot of like anointing oil. People will put myrrh in it. And then it's like, and then people walk around smelling like myrrh and, you know, anyway. We need to, we need to sit. We need to understand the cross. We need to spend our time. The other thing about this is they would wear these sachets of myrrh all night. And then they would take them off in the morning. And when they would leave the house, they, they would carry the fragrance of myrrh with them all day long. Do you carry the fragrance of the cross? Do you carry the fragrance of Jesus' death around with you all the time? Do people walk you know, by you and say, wow, you smell like Jesus? Yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, like, do, do, do you carry the fragrance of Jesus' death with you? Do people see the mark of the cross on your character, your nature, the way you think, the way you feel? The cross should be the lens through which we see the entire world. Because the cross tells us about his love. The cross tells us about how horrible sin is. And the cross tells us that we deserve hell, but we haven't received it and won't. So when you see someone sinning, you don't see them and say you horrible horrible person you see them through the cross and you see they can be saved. When you see somebody that's broken, you see there is an answer to their problem. Have you been marked by the cross? Does that smell ever leave your nostrils? Let's pray no. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms <coughs> in the vineyards of Engedi. Okay. Henna blossoms apparently have a delightful refreshing fragrance. Have you ever come into the presence of God and just been like, oh, it just feels like you're just like so alive, like, oh, it's just so refreshing. It's so refreshing. You come into his presence, and you're like, you can just feel the life just like resonating in the air, you know, you're just like, oh, it's so good to be alive and in love with Jesus. It's this beautiful, refreshing fragrance. And she's saying, he is, he is that statue of myrrh, and I think about the cross, but then I encounter him and it's like, oh, he's so refreshing, he just brings me new life. We should enjoy a relationship with God. The people that tell me that the Bible and or prayer are boring, I want to say, what God are you praying to? What Bible are you reading? Are you out of your mind? He is the most enjoyable, the most satisfying reality in the history of the universe. And if I'm not enjoying him, it's because I'm messed up, not because he is. So I got to get myself in line, you know, figure out what's going on in my heart. And then I can open a ah, the floodgates of that beautiful henna blossom uh, can, can, can come pouring in again. And I can be refreshed by him. Listen to him talk about her. Verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Okay. Think about this, because she. So she's been sitting there thinking about him. She's been sitting there worshiping him, responding to you know, and and his, her worship of him causes him to respond. This is one of the most <laughs> awesome things. This is one of the things that blows me away about God is that He enjoys me. I don't just enjoy him. He is infinitely enjoyable, so it makes total sense for me to enjoy him. I love you. You are so awesome. But he turns it around and says, oh, I love you. You're so amazing. What? Why? I'm not amazing. I'm terrible. I suck. It's true. (laughs) It's just real. I know me. I wouldn't want to spend time with me if I was God. You know, I, I... But he's like, oh, I love you, oh! And I'm like, what? You, wait, I, (laughs) which? And he says, one of the things I love most about you, your eyes are like doves. And we talked about this before. You have, you're single-minded. You're you're tunnel vision. You've set your gaze upon me and only upon me. And I love that about you. Ladies, can I say something to you? Yes. Okay. When you are, when you find that guy that's actually amazing enough to spend time with, okay, give him your full attention and he will get completely lost in you. There's nothing more like off-putting to a guy than a woman who is, who has her attention five other places. And I know ladies that you are capable of thinking of five things at once which we are not. Okay? Don't do that around him. Don't do that to him. Focus on him. Give him your attention. It will unhinge him. I'm telling you, trust me, it'll unhinge him. He won't even know what to do. (laughs) It's real. Trust me. When guys walk out is when she's got five other things to do. Because if he's actually there with you, he he's going to give you his attention. Once you have his attention, you have it. Because guys don't think about five things at once. No. That's why, okay, my wife does this to me often. I'm playing a video game or I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book and she comes walking in and starts talking to me. As if I knew she existed in that moment. <laughs> I don't know if she exists. I'm playing a video game, watching a movie, reading a book. And I am not even... And so it's a ha- she's half a sentence in, half a paragraph sometimes, before I even realize that she's speaking to me. And when I look at her and say, I'm sorry, what did you say? She gets furious! <laughs> she just looks at me like... <sighs> and I'm like, honey... I'm playing a game, or I'm watching. If you need my attention, then you need to come in and say, Josh, I need your attention. And then I will pause. I will gladly pause the movie, pause the video game, and put the book down. I'll do that. She's my wife. She gets my attention. But she has to do that before she begins talking. Or else I will not hear her. And I've tried to explain this to her. She just does not. She she, she doesn't understand. That's because women... My my wife could be doing laundry, cooking dinner, and and doing my daughter's hair all at the same time and still have a conversation with me. I am not capable of that. I I, I have Dove's eyes one direction at a time. That's it. That's it. That's all I got. And he says to her, all your attention is on me. I love that about you. All your attention is focused on me. That changes everything. Can I encourage you to set your eyes on Jesus and 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 <laughs> shut out the rest of the world and just stare at him? Get your Bible open, turn on some worship music, whatever. Whatever you got to do to close yourself in and just focus directly on him and just focus on him because it's in that place that you will hear him say, "You are beautiful, my darling." It's in that place when all of your all of your attention is on him that you will hear him speak your identity over you. So she's she's talking about how awesome he is, and she begins to talk about and then he begins to talk about how, how awesome he, she is. And then verse 16, she it turns back around. How handsome you are, my beloved. And so pleasant, indeed, our couch is luxuriant. The beams of our houses are cedars, our rafters, are cypresses. I won't talk about the position she must be in, so where all she can see is the ceiling. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's all she can see. Wow, the ceiling's really pretty. Okay. <coughs> Burdent. How do they have a couch? The the word is they had couches. It means fresh. The word the word in Hebrew is raanan, raanan, which means luxuriant or fresh. It means like, you know, it's 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 uh it's got a fresh fragrance. It's nice. It's, it's, well, that makes more sense Yes the couch or the divan it says is is verdant it's it's okay So now so his pleasure in her fans the of flame of, of her passion for him okay and and this is what I would say to you understand if you want to love Jesus more than you do now. The best way to do that is to begin to experience how much he loves you. Spend some time asking him to show you his love for you. The way Mike Bickle says it is to put your cold heart in front of the bonfire of his heart and let it warm you. Because his love for you awakens inside uh, our love for him. But if you think we're done being steamy, we're not. Okay? She says, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. So she begins to actually believe that he values her. She begins to actually believe that what he says about her is true. That she's beautiful. That she's delightful. (laughs) That he's not just pulling the wool over her eyes, but that she actually is beautiful. That she actually has Value. And not just, not just, not with just the to him attached to it. No, she believes that what he is saying is the truth. Cause it doesn't matter how many times your woman says, you know, you, you can tell her she's beautiful forever. She's never going to fully believe you. So keep telling her every five minutes if necessary. She says, I'm a rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. And he says, like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. In other words, every other woman compared to you is a thorn and you're a lily. He calls her delightful among the punishing, enjoyable among the difficult. He says to her, my delight is in you. The Lord loves all those he created, but there's a special love that he has for those who have said yes to him. Look at the difference here between the soft, open lily and the hardened and difficult thorns and brambles. Jesus said it was the poor in spirit who who would inherit the kingdom, the meek who inherit the earth. It's the softness of our hearts. Um, There's this ancient vineyard song, which I, I sing to the Lord a lot, which just says, I've come, uh, you know, I've come to worship basically, but one of the lines says, I've come to soften my heart. And I, I'm, I'm just like, Lord, and I will ask him in prayer. I will say, soften my heart. <clears throat> Give me the ability to hear you. Give me the ability to respond to you. You know, one of the key things that Jesus, that that Jesus and the, and the apostles said about the Jewish people was that they were stiff necked people. Now that, what that means is that, you know, if, if, I, if I would like yell your name, you would go, right? You would turn towards me. But if you had a stiff neck, you wouldn't turn. You would just be like, what? <laughs> right? Okay. And he was, that's what he was saying. They didn't have the pliability to turn, to respond, to say yes, to, 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 to listen to what he said and to change. Okay. That's what it means to be a stiff necked people. Psalm 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Jesus is looking for a people who respond to him, who hear his voice, who who instead of being thorns are lilies, that that are gentle with him, that allow him to, to mold them, to respond to his touch and to his voice. love. It's, I said, look at what this simple statement of affection does to her heart. 1 John four nineteen. we love him because he first loved us. It is our experience of his love for us that enables us to love him back. You have no strength to love him until you've been loved by him. All of a sudden she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Something you need to know about apples and raisins. Apples and raisins were aphrodisiacs back then. They were thought to be, they were the Viagra of the Middle East. Okay? So when she calls them an apple tree... Oh. <laughs> You stir desire in me, is what she's saying, okay? You stir desire in me. When I see you, I am stirred with desire. That's what she's saying, okay? You are covered with desire. That's that's what she's saying. And the fragrance of apples represented virility and health, okay? So his presence stirs her desire. Plus he is fruitful and beneficial, okay? Being... And being with him is a place of comfort, shelter, protection, <laughs> peace, and pleasure. She feels safe. She feels comfortable, and she's delighted. Not yet. She'll be in his arms in a minute, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just to want to like cuddle, you know. <laughs> These ain't cuddles. <laughs> <laughs> Now she says, he has brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love this <laughs> this word banquet hall in the original language is actually house of wine uh, some- what? some- what? <coughs> <coughs> that's what's what it is it's the house of wine so nice. they're drinking together oh. <laughs> And he has – now this banquet hall was – it was more than just the two of them. Don't picture this like – this intimate thing. He has put her in the seat of honor at his table in his court. So there's many people there. And he has written over her seat. They, they, there was lots of different times. I don't know if this actually happened in the Israeli court or not. But where, where the, the people who sat there would have like a placard attached over their chair to say what the relationship was to the king. And his his placard over her seat says, My beloved. He is declaring to all the most important people in the country that this is the woman in whom his delight and favor rests. He is making it extremely clear. He's taking her to the house of wine. He's getting her drunk. I'm not kidding. (laughs) He's making her heart glad with wine. That's the way the Psalms describes it, okay. And he's written over her. This is that he is in love with her, okay. Um, I wanted to read these lyrics to you. I'll do it in a minute, but before we get to the end here, sustain me with raisin cakes. Remember what I said about raisins. Refresh me with apples, because I'm lovesick. What she is saying is. I really desire Him. I want to desire Him more. Feed my desire for You. That's what she said. I, like, I'm getting tired. I need. I want to desire Him more than I already have. So give me things that will stir my heart's desire for the King, because I'm lovesick. Okay. So this is a request. Give me the ability to love Him and desire Him more. I'm lovesick, it's too much. I can't sustain it, she's saying. She's like, I I'm gonna pass out. I'm so in love with the king, I'm gonna pass out. Ready? Verse six. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. She's now right. she's she's in his arms. <laughs> yeah, she didn't need raisin cakes and apples. So that they could have a nice long hug. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It really is. They are they're married, so it's fine. Oh, okay. ask, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She wouldn't be in his chambers and in the house of wine if she wasn't his bride. That's not how they did things. This is not today. <laughs> in verse seven, I adjure you. I I charge you. O daughters of Jerusalem by the gazelles or by the hin- the hinds of the field they that you do not arouse or awaken love until it, well this this is different I, it says un, until she pleases i, I that's that's a, a translation thing there the idea is if you take this translation She's asleep, and the king is saying, let her sleep. Okay? She gets to sleep in. That's that's this translation. My understanding of this is, unless you're ready to give yourself completely over to him, then don't start. That's what she's saying. He is so overwhelmingly passionate about her. That there's no way she could go back. That her entire life belongs to him now, and she's saying, "Unless you're ready for that, don't even start." Which this isn't a don't. You know, this isn't a. This isn't her saying you shouldn't fall in love with him. She's saying that this is kind of a one of you know. It's it's kind of reverse psychology almost. Like like oh, don't awaken love until until you're ready for it. You aren't even ready for this. It's it's. This statement of no, it's this is better than I thought it was going to be, and that's where we're going to stop for today. Are there any questions? Oh, I want to read read this. There's this new song written by Amanda Cook. She wrote "You Make Me Brave," and um, on on the newest Bethel album, Stephanie Frizzell sings it. Could you do better? then Amanda Cook writing it and Stephanie Frizzell singing it and I mean holy lord but she describes his love god's love yeah it's called pieces and and this song kills me oh me too she says unreserved unrestrained your love is wild for me it isn't shy it's unashamed your love is proud to be seen with me uncontrolled, uncontained, your love is a fire burning bright for me. It's not just a spark or a flame. Your love is a light and all the world will see. Your love's not fractured. It's not a troubled mind. It isn't anxious. It's not the restless kind. Your love's not passive. It's never disengaged. It's always present. It hangs on every word I say. Love keeps its promises. It keeps its word. It honors what's sacred because its vows are good. Your love's not broken. It's not insecure. Your love's not selfish. Your love is pure. And then she says, you don't give your heart in pieces. He, this, this could have been written right out of Song of Solomon because this is what we've been saying in this place. She is experiencing the passion of the king for her and it is awakening passion inside of her for him that she did not know was possible. So almost to the level that she thinks she might die because it's so powerful. She's blown away. I tried to find I thought there was a quote in Romeo and Juliet about dying from loving too much so I were like, but I couldn't find it, so. They just died. Okay. I may be wrong. Maybe it's from Pride and Prejudice. I love Pride and Prejudice. No, no, no. I love the book. The Kira Knightley version is pretty great, I have to say. But it's. Not because of her. <laughs> no, the writing and the the, the 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 actors are fine. The writing, the story, obviously, but the the cinematography in that movie is just mind-boggling. Um. Anyway, I could watch that movie with the sound off. I could. I could watch that movie with the sound off and just enjoy it.
0: Cause it's gorgeous. Oh, you
1: can. Well, yeah, the music in the movie kills me. It's so good. Any any man that is a let me just say this, guys. Learn to love romantic movies. Thank you. Please. Okay. Let me help you understand why. Can it? Can I, can, I, can guys? Every one of you in here needs to listen to me. Okay. Okay, guys. You need to listen to me. So the mouth. I'm sorry. You need to learn to love romantic movies because they're roadmaps to a woman's heart. Yes. Oh, and my heart got lost. They are. <laughs> <laughs> they're roadmaps to a woman's heart, and you need to know. You need to know how to find your way in. Okay, so learn to love them. Learn to, you know, to to learn to go, you know. And enjoy them and, and kind of explore explore them and, and, and figure that out. Because it will be of great help to you in the future. Plus, when you take your wife out to a movie, good things happen. Really? I feel like most of those would rather super